So there's this new collection of short stories that are retold fairy tales. Have you heard about this? Oh yeah, it's uh, Far Away, the new Amazon original stories collection, right? Exactly. We've got Rainbow Rowell, Nick Stone, Soman Chanani, Ken Liu, and Gail Foreman all taking these old fairy tales and twisting them and making them their own. I mean, who doesn't love going back to those stories that we all grew up with about evil queens and charmless princesses and star-crossed lovers and finding authors who we love now in 2020 doing their own cool riffs on those classic stories? It's some of my absolute favorite things. I mean, I love when Helen Oyeyemi does it, and I love, you know, when Amy Bender does it. And now I'm really excited about checking out what all of these authors are going to do with these old familiar stories. The collection is available now. You can get it in audiobook. You can get it in ebook. Amazon Prime members can listen and read for free. Just need to get ready. Prepare yourself because these stories, they're going to scare you. They're going to charm you. They're going to move you. They're going to make you feel magic all over again. You can download them at amazon.com slash farawaystories. That's amazon.com slash farawaystories. I just realized we haven't actually seen each other yet in the new year. Yeah. Did you have a nice 2021 ring in? I was asleep by about 1030. So many. So many. So many. Damn books. To me, it's our worst holiday. It's the worst holiday of the holiday season. And um, I often want to like have no part in it. So it's okay that it was quote unquote taken from us. Yes. Yeah, it does. It is like a weirdly arbitrary feeling thing of like, we're going to force everybody to like stay up and celebrate midnight tonight. Well, and you know, weirdly arbitrary is the name of the game. Isn't that what we're doing today? Yes. Uh, Weird arbitration. Yeah. It does feel like every year we get progressively more, not disillusioned by list making, because we're still doing it. Yeah, we obviously continue to make lists. It's just, I feel weirder about it every year because, you know, I think we, we, travel deeper into literary culture and meet more people and there are so many great books that you know that you read that aren't anywhere near a list yeah and not being on a list just must suck so if i we're sorry to everybody we're leaving off because it's also it's just it's so weird that we do this thing, and I know in the past we've tried to mitigate this, and people try to mitigate it in different ways, where they're like, my list this year is all of the books that I read that weren't published in this calendar year that I loved reading. Because it's like, okay, we're talking about books that were published in 2020, that we got and read and liked in the space of time from January 1st to December 31st. Like, if you finish the book, at 12.05 on January 1st, 2021, (laughs) like it's out, it doesn't count. You know, there's like a weird, or does it? And if that's the case, with the rules, what what are we even doing, you know? There's some 2020 imp that comes by and rips the book from your hand (laughs) and says, no more. (laughs) (laughs) You and I have talked about this a couple of times, I think both on the air and not, like because this was such a weird year, also, I think the the best reading experiences that we both had were not necessarily 
books from 2020, like comfort reading, reading where I was going back to the well a little bit ended up being the reading for me that I felt most, I don't know, it felt like the best reading of the year for me was reading a bunch of John le Carre novels in April. Mm-hmm. And that, like, how do you, it doesn't really quantify. And also, I don't know, some of those books came out 35, like they came out before I was born. And do they need to be talked about? Or no. should I be thinking You shouldn't about have even that- read those books. It was completely wasted time. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. Hey, hang on. I have an idea. It just sprang into my mind. Okay. You should write. Okay. It's the new dystopia for the kids. You're not allowed to read anything that was published before you were born. <laughs> and there's like an underground trade in like sharing books that you're not allowed to like. So huh? publisher's uh-huh. marketplace is like has become the uber overlord yeah basically (laughs) okay this episode is brought to you by better help over the last couple of months i know that i have been feeling stressed and super anxious and starting i know right starting therapy has been a, a huge transformative help. Um, and BetterHelp is one of the coolest new services out there to help you find a therapist. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling that you can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours, uh, send a message to your counselor anytime. It's really wonderful. It's it's meant to, particularly in this time where we can't be going to people's offices and you, you know, it was always kind of stressful to think about, oh, I want to, like, I'm going to go sit on a couch across from somebody for a while. Mm-hmm. This is great. It's more affordable. Financial aid is available. It is available worldwide. Um, and counselors are specialized in in everything and anything that you could possibly feel like you want to talk about depression stress anxiety relationships sleeping. not sleeping well i mean mm-hmm. trauma anger grief all and of anything it. you share with them is confidential just like a real therapist these are it's convenient it's professional it's affordable and uh, you can go to BetterHelp's website if you want to see some more testimonials so many people have been using it that they're actually recruiting additional counselors everywhere um, we want you to live a happier life. And so as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash so many damn books. You can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash so many damn books. So what? We're going to do top nine. <laughs> yes. Every year it's a different number. It's top nine with the asterisk. We've already yeah, given a bunch of other super several scripts. asterisks. Yeah. So this is, this is the top nine books of the year that we got to, that were given to us, that we received in 2020. That we read in 2020. That we liked in 2020. And so we're going to do five books that you and I both agree on. <laughs> 
<laughs> and two personal picks that, you know, might the other person might have liked them. Who knows? Yeah, it's that it's that thing of when you start to set arbitrary things, you got to stick to the arbitrary thing. And it's not necessarily to say that on a different day, our joint five might not have included something from one of our individual lists. I don't know. We can caveat the shit out of these things until the cows come home. Okay. So this, so this is in no order. In zero order. One of my absolute favorite things that I read near the beginning of the year was the new novel from Marie Helene Bertino. Yes. Parakeet. And I remember finishing it and I was just like, Drew, (laughs) have you got, because you got it very similar time to me. And I was just like, you have to read this right Mm -hmm. now. I think Danny read it before me too. So good. I was like, so good. I know how much you love Mrs. Dalloway. And I just thought of it as a phantasmagorical Mrs. Dalloway. I've been thinking a lot about second novels because I feel like a lot of the authors who we love have recently like their second novels have come out or their third or fourth novel has come out and it's allowing me to like recontextualize their second a little bit Mm -hmm. and there is something about and and i think parakeet does this exceptionally well where it's like just everything's bigger it's like the empire strikes back of the but where it's like what if we did all of these things but bigger and cooler and better and maybe a little bit messier Mm-hmm. And maybe with more ambition and maybe sometimes there are going to be like flaws in the book, but the flaws make the book better. It's mm. just, I really, I felt like Parakeet was everything I want a, a second novel to be in some ways. And somehow it isn't longer, you know, even yeah. though it's yeah. crammed full, it's still like she fits these jewels into these slim cases and i just think that that is absolutely so cool i mean 2am in the cat's pajamas still reigns in one of my top books that i've just ever read and then mm-hmm. Parakeet just slots in right next yeah i'm excited uh she's got a new book coming soon too yeah it seems like we're we're in the midst of the bertino cycle so i can't wait and the wheel turns the wheel turns you want to say our second book Sure. Uh, let's do the other second novel, which okay. feels like a very different formulation of a second novel, mm-hmm. but it's Susanna Clarke's Piranesi. Oh my God. Which uh, you and I have both been eagerly awaiting that book since before we knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything was so primed for her because Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell was just this absolutely massive outsized success. Mm-hmm. And this book is slimmer, it's leaner, and it's, frankly, it's weirder, it's which weirder. is a tough thing to say, considering that the first book is like an 800 page novel about Regency magicians during the Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. And so, like <laughs> and so, you know, and then, you know, follow me into the labyrinth, and she just got to work off all of this fantastic goodwill. I know that she released a short story collection. Oh, um, yeah. The, the ladies, ladies of Grace, of Grace Adieu. Adieu. Yeah. Which is but good. This just, this just hit and amazing to release a novel about being lost in the labyrinth of your own making uh, during this year. 
Yeah, it it does feel surprisingly like surprisingly timely. Yeah. You always see like surprisingly timely and you're like, okay, is it like a book that references Trump or climate change or something? This is the weird thing where it came out and all of the jacket copy was already done. And I feel like the the publishers on like the paperback are gonna be like, the quarantine hit. <laughs> oh God. But you know what I mean? Like the, it really- That makes me so sad for some reason. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But it, it's, a book, it's a book that will be beloved forever because it is a great book. And also you cannot extricate it from the circumstances in which we read it in a way that I think only, it's one of the few good things about the last nine months is that the circumstances allowed us to enjoy the book that much more. Hmm. I'd trade it. I feel like I would. <laughs> I would. Okay. I think I'd like it just as much. If we're talking about <laughs> trading. <laughs> Another sort of like t surprisingly timely book that's on the list is uh, Lydia Millet's A Children's Bible. Oh, yes. It's surprising in a different way of just the kids are dealing with the apocalypse better than the adults. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that seemed true. I mean, it's just like while everybody was else, while all the adults were fighting, the kids were like, we're going to write our own Ratatouille musical. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> So yeah. I feel like a children's Bible is that in a book done very poetically and just oh, surprising and fun. And in some ways it felt like, like a Bob's Burgers episode come to life in, in some places. In some, <laughs> some places it felt just like this incredible nuanced parable. It's a strange book because it does so many things and it takes so many sort of dreamy turns that you you don't always know what it's going to be it, it really starts out like just a typical um rich people summer vacation like i don't know coming of age novel almost mm -hmm. and then it turns into an apocalypse novel and then it turns into like kind of a weirdly utopian novel as the kids are like cool we're gonna do our own society and we all read Lord of the Flies. We all know not to be dickheads to one another. <laughs> yeah, also, kindness. our parents are all drunk and just useless. Kindness wins out. Yeah. And it's one of those books I look back on and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little deeper. Yeah. I mean, I remember speaking of books that like, the circumstances mattered. I read that at the end of March. So I read that like maybe two weeks into quarantine. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's another one of those moments of like, the book would be great at any time, but the circumstances under which I read it are kind of gonna inevitably and inexorably linked. Like I will never be able to think about that book without thinking about experiencing what up to that point in my life was the closest thing I had ever felt to living through the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think, what is so strange about, you know, bureaucratic and municipal list making <laughs> is that like, <laughs> you don't see how the like, the like book hit that spot necessarily. It's just like a list, like this is a great book, but it doesn't get into, and I was only able to, it was the only thing that kept me reading and like paying attention to a book. 
and not on my phone mm -hmm. during two weeks somehow. It was like the only thing. And there's so many things about special circumstances because, you know, another book on our list. Luster by Raven yes. Leilani is made even more special by the circumstances of we read it knowing that we were going to have her on the show. Mm -hmm. We read it before, like, just as the press wave was like starting to peak, we talked to her, I think, right, like maybe the day the book came out, mm -hmm. you know, and it, there was something very cool to like have a moment. And some of this definitely comes through in the episode, but even in like getting ready to talk to her and like we painted our nails. Yeah. Being I able mean, to be like, how does it feel like the books? How do you feel? And she was just like, it's crazy. It's great. Like there's a cool thing to be able to do that. It was also the first cocktail that I delivered. So like Ooh, cool. yeah. going into her neighborhood, which was really close to mine. So that also felt weird. Like this book that I had just loved and devoured was written less than a mile away from me. Yeah. Yeah. That's least, a special, a special thing about New York. Yeah. And just really like is. being able to, to, and we've had guests who have said this to us too, when like guests came over to one of our places, there was that thing of like, I don't know, you can, you walk inside and suddenly like, here's this author who you idolize, who's like sitting on the couch, just hanging out. Or the author's like, yeah, wow. Like, in this unassuming brownstone, like there's this this show that I love listening to comes out of like this little room right here. There mm -hmm. is, there's something, you know, neat about the ways in which the little spaces hide so much. Yeah. Yeah. And and Lester, I mean, there was just it's it's another slim novel that packs so many little punches. I was just remembering the comic-con sequence yeah. which is just so so good and so unexpected when you're reading a novel like luster that's on mm -hmm. every list you know yeah it it feels like one of those books that i am excited that it is on so many lists and that it is getting so much attention because i think it is malleable like i think it will appeal to a very broad swath of readers particularly readers who might only pick it up because it was on a list. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they had seen the jacket or read the blurb, they might be like, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah. Another similarly special book because we got to connect with the writer and have them on the podcast. Was The Lightness. Emily yes. Temple. And so that's the that's our that's our final agreed upon group of titles and it's just similarly i just i felt like i was reading just someone who loved books like i felt like that that i was mm -hmm. in the hands of a reader while i was reading this book you and i are both on record many times as sort of loving the the broad strokes of like the paint by numbers kit of like okay it's teen girl friendships at like a summer camp or in some way that effect that ripples out into their lives and there's a mystery involved kind of thing. And the fact that the book feels so 
it manages to like hit all of the beats while feeling so different and so original. Mm-hmm. It right down to the literal writing of the thing. Like I, I still cannot get over the fucking parentheticals in that book. Yeah, yeah, and there's just little flights of fancy that you expect from a teenage voice but also had that great thing of just like oh right i remember when i kind of saw the world that way and that didn't feel pat and like oh honey <laughs> it felt like oh they have you know your epiphanies are lifelong and may they always be yeah yeah oh that's a really that's a quite a good way to put it so those are our agreed upon titles yes asterisk 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 etc now all the superscript that you can find <laughs> the double dagger two daggers an infinity symbol and <laughs> so i i had an incredible time reading it's i think it might be the only nonfiction book on our list you never forget your first mm. by alexis co um it's just this incredible George Washington biography. It's the first George Washington biography by a woman, which I think is weird. Yeah. And it's just so exciting. I went through a bit of a George Washington phase after I saw Hamilton. I just was, I just found um, that portrayal of George Washington so charming that i wanted to read more about him uh-huh and this was just by far my favorite encounter you know it's just so cool to see like a sort of internet-y myth-busting grid <laughs> in the midst of a book or yeah. all the places where he got his teeth from oh the teeth if you are interested in george washington if you're interested in george washington's teeth which I feel like weirdly a lot. How can of you not be? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Peach Jelly Clark has this short story that I believe it originally ran at Fireside Fiction. Uh, it's called The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington. Absolutely not factual. It is a great piece of fantasy storytelling. That's my little side recommendation. I think it's also particularly stands out in my mind because it was um one of the last times i visited a bookstore before thing Ooh. everything went down when i was checking out the new mcnally jackson that had just opened up it's like aha and they have the book i want oh man yeah, <sighs> yeah. yikes so do you want to throw a title out sure You know, I was trying to think about what, if I had to pick a book from the year, it is really hard. It's always really hard. And yet there is, and this, I feel like this happens every year. Like there's one book that just sticks in my mind that I keep thinking about and I keep coming back to. And this year that was Catherine Lacey's Pew. I devoured that book when I first read it. And I just, I truly cannot stop thinking about it. Thinking about how weird it is, thinking about how surprising it is, considering 
her first two novels and her short story collection, she like there's weirdness in all of those, but Pew is such a, it's basically a piece of speculative fiction. It feels like an Ursula K. Le Guin story crossed with Shirley Jackson. It's the, the way that Catherine Lacey is able to write this central character who is unable to be described. People can't tell what gender they are, can't tell what race they are, can't tell how old they are. Everybody seems to perceive them differently. Feels like an unwritable premise that she manages to write exceptionally well. Um, and I, I remember just thinking as I finished it, I was like, oh, I, I was already on this train because I've loved everything that I've read of Catherine's. But I was like, oh, this is an author who I will follow to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. I just like, I, for whatever reason, um, the, the work that she puts out, no matter how different it is from the previous thing, it feels like it, you know, that, that moment where like you read a book and the author, like not even just the book, but the author kind of like rings something inside of your soul a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt with that book. Um, I think it's, it's one of those books that I feel like people are going to be continuing to discover as time goes by, because it's, it's just like the title character. It like, it kind of defies conceptualization or defies understanding in ways that aren't like weird fiction where the prose is so dense that you're just like, I don't know what I just read, but it's more that it just lodges like a splinter in the mind. Mm. What's your other book? It's funny that you said that about following an author to the ends of the earth, because I had that great thing where you start a book and you're kind of not sure and you don't know if it's going to actually be for you. Mm -hmm. Amy Bender's new book, Butterfly Lampshade, that came out this year. I think I even had just read like the first 30 pages before I was talking to you. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to do it for me. And then suddenly it just all clicked into place. And it was just oh yes, this is, I love Amy Bender. I love everything that she's done. And this is newly incredible and just an unbelievable book because it's about so little and it's about such a small story of just sort of that thing that we were talking about. You don't realize what's going on in every apartment. Mm -hmm. And there's, there could be someone making a mind palace in a tent um, <laughs> in between selling antiques on Etsy. Um, <laughs> and she just brings that to life in a way that is just surprising and exciting. And it was just so quickly one of my absolute favorite things. Yeah. When it started out so, ooh, I don't know. That's a good, so that's it's what... a good testament to, to not sticking it out necessarily, but like no. to, giving, to giving books a fair shake. I feel like that's the fear of, of why I end up reading a bunch of books that I don't care for <laughs> is because yeah. that ability to quit out, you have to be, you have to be good at it. 
and you also it's have to be in a certain hard. type of mood. So yeah. I I always feel like I'm a finisher usually, but I I'm getting better. I'm getting better at just being like, you know what, this is this is fine, but I'm going to read something else, and it's going to be great. Yeah, you have one more book to mention. I I think it has to be. Denez Smith's collection, Homie, which, so similarly to you thinking about the last time you went into a bookstore before the pandemic, the last event that I went to was a tables of contents reading at our dearly departed egg, where it was a gray wolf night. It was Denez, it was Carmen Maria Machado and somebody else who I'm forgetting, um, Maya Popa. And I hadn't read Homie yet. I loved everything of Denez's that I've read previously. But the, the book finally showed up and it's this bright sort of like neon green with pink lettering. It's a book that like sort of jumps off the shelf at you and reading it, it's, it's such a joyful collection, even when they are writing about being HIV positive or being black in America. There's this thread of joy that is rooted in friendship that they weave through just about every poem. And it, when I kept putting it down, it, I found myself smiling, but also I found myself just thinking about my friends hmm. in, in a way that again, reading the book when I couldn't see my friends, when I couldn't touch my friends, there was a sense of like, oh, right. I have the best fucking friends in the world. I love them all so much. And there's, there's something about Denez writing about their friends that gave me the same, that same feeling. Even though I was like, I don't know any of these people. And in my head, there was a little bit of like, but I have the same, I know what you mean. I know what you mm. mean. Yeah, I feel that way cool. about, you know. That's um, what good poetry should do. Yeah. It, I, it's one of the few poetry collections I have that I have gone back to, let alone going back like within the same year that I've read it. Right. It definitely, there are a couple of poems in that collection that were you know, like vitamin C shots for me <laughs> this year, where it was like, I feel bad, I feel sad, I feel whatever. And reading a couple of those, it was like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, like I got, bop, I got bop, my friends bop. and that's good, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's it, people. That's our, that's our top nine, top nine of the year. Uh, uh, you can look at the full list on so many damn books.com. You can tell us about the books that you loved. You can argue with us and tell us that our choices are terrible and your choices are better. Or you can agree with us heartily at so many damn books on Instagram and Twitter. And you can tell us if you liked how much you like our show on iTunes. We always love those. And we hope you have a nice beginning to your year. Yeah. We, um, we'll be back next week too. Oh boy, and then we're off to the races, you know? Yeah, then it's that now it's the new year. It's the new year, and we gotta do it all over again. Uh-huh.
Start all over again. January and February and March. That's what I remember. And March and March Mm -hmm. and March. Yes. (laughs) That all sounds right. There's August in there somewhere. That's how Go look at your calendars, guys. (laughs) Figure it out. Please, please free me from this labyrinth.